0: Before we get started on this week's podcast, I do feel that there are a couple of important things for me to address. Number one, my dog is banging her tail against the couch in the background. So if you hear that, um, I do not have the audio editing capability to edit it out. Number two, I am a first generation mixed race person. I am coming at this podcast with a certain perspective and it's not something that I intentionally will try to erase. I want to embrace my bias and my personal experience and use it as a catalyst for insightful questions, a way to process my own self-experience and hopefully gain knowledge and wisdom from others. Finally, I hope that you will bear with me as I learn how to edit a podcast. I uh, am learning Adobe Audition. It is the first time that I've ever used this platform. So if you do notice errors, I actually would greatly encourage uh, kind criticism uh, that will help me along the way in making this a better podcast in the future. So thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to your feedback. in and Building Up, a podcast through Madison College where we explore the personal stories of women breaking into, working in, and leading change in non-traditional occupations, such as STEM and the trades. We also explore current trends, challenges, equity gaps, and how education at all levels can help to support underrepresented populations to achieve their goals, regardless of gender or other identity markers that marginalize them in these fields. I'm your host, Sarita Field. I am a career and employment advisor at Madison College, where I work to support students in programs where their gender represents 25% or less of that occupation's national aggregate workforce, also known as non-traditional occupations. With me today, we are joined by Hannah Wolf, instructor of metal fabrication and related metals at Madison College. In addition to being an instructor, she also leads critical efforts in recruiting with a special focus in underrepresented populations. I, uh, I first met Hannah actually two years ago when I started at the college and Uh, She is one of the most open, supportive, fun, and just downright cool instructors I've had the pleasure to work with. Um, And she's also fixed a metal sculpture of mine that I'd broken in a move. So she's very generous with her time as well. So how's that for an intro, Hannah? Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Sarita. I am so excited about this topic, and it is one that is near and dear to my heart, as it sounds as it is to yours.
0: Absolutely. Well, so I, I mentioned a little bit that you're an instructor of metal fabrication and related metals but I know you sort of have your your hand in many uh, many efforts and projects at Madison College. Can you tell us a little bit about your current position?
1: So I have been teaching at the college. This is year number five for me, year three as a full-time instructor. Uh, I am the only female instructor in either of the departments that I work in. So as you mentioned, I teach in the metal fabrication and related metals area. Uh, What those mean is metal fabrication is all of the things that get done to metal that's not welding. We also do a lot of welding as well because oftentimes when we bend or cut or roll something, that's one step in a long process for completed products. So our students have to know all of the different components. I teach two CNC classes, which is computer numeric control. So we design items on a computer, we draw them, Uh, get them all looking good and then we get to send them out to CNC cutters. So we have a water jet and a plasma cutter that our students get to use. I also teach in the related metals program, which is a wonderful department that allows me to work with all of the students that need to know how to weld, but aren't welding students. So auto students, industrial maintenance, ag, uh, diesel, small engine, all of those different programs get to come down and work with us to learn how to do basic welding and machining as part of their program.
0: Tell us a little bit about those special recruiting efforts that, that you've been a part of.
1: So, day one when I started teaching, I, I came from a background of not having a good idea of what, what really any of the trades were, so I got asked to do a tour, maybe I think two or three weeks into uh, working at the college, they needed somebody and I, at that point, knew enough to walk the students around. But seeing them get excited about it and seeing the different equipment and asking questions felt really good. So when I've had opportunities to work with uh, really young students or uh, women or people of color, Having some of those special initiatives, we've had a couple women in welding events where we've had all ladies come in to try out a new skill uh, and make make some cool projects. Uh, I've done that. We've I've gotten to participate in Girl Scout activities where we've had girls uh, of all ages starting at kindergarten all the way up through high school that uh, I'd say 99% of them had never touched a welder before and by the end, they we couldn't get them out of the booth.
0: And I wanna make sure that we do speak in depth about um, your role as a woman uh, at the college in your particular program. What that means uh, in your recruiting efforts, but I'd like to actually take a step back in time at first um, and, and just talk about you and what your personal story is. Uh, were you raised here in Wisconsin? Tell me uh, and our listeners uh, a bit about your family background.
1: So I was raised here in Wisconsin, in New Glarus. Uh, I was i grew up on a small hobby farm so i had horses and cats and a dog and we gardened a lot my dad is one of 13 children uh so there were always lots of other ants visit. (laughs) but it meant that i got to have a a very wide uh, wide opportunity to uh, spend time on farms to kind of get my hands dirty in a variety of different ways however It never occurred to me to pursue a position or a career in the trades.
0: Mm. Uh, Why um, do you think uh, that is?
1: I, no one ever really mentioned it as, Mm. hey, this is something that you could go do. Uh, I also was 100% committed to becoming a veterinarian. Mm. So starting at age five, when we had to draw ourselves in our future career, that's how I drew myself, very poorly. (laughs) but me in a white coat, uh, working, uh, being a doctor for animals. And that was what I was going to do my entire, uh, K through 12 existence. I was going to be a veterinarian. So I didn't put a whole lot of thought into other career choices because Mm -hmm. I knew in my heart that that was what my career was going to be for forever.
0: Yeah, you were you were decided. And so uh, K through 12, you know, comes and goes, you're entering junior than then senior year of high school, you're thinking about colleges and, and the next step in um, pursuing that goal. What was, you know, the guidance that you were getting from your family, from your school? Were you still um, dead set on veterinary science and sort of what was the transition to college like for you?
1: So we didn't have our guidance counselor was, uh, she kind of just let us do whatever if we were decided like I was, I knew what I wanted to go to school for, uh, that she didn't spend a whole lot of time with us. Uh, I had had a couple, everyone was mandated to take some tech ed classes uh, in like freshman through senior year. So there were some cooking classes and I had a welding and a woodworking class where we each were in there for maybe a week. Uh and that still it didn't it didn't change my mind too much of what I was going to do in the future. My parents were very supportive. They wanted me to go to a four-year college. Neither uh both of them had attended MATC as uh, with two-year technical diplomas, so they wanted both my brother and I to go to school and get our four-year degrees, but they weren't, they were very supportive in whatever my heart desired for what I wanted to go to school for. I did, when I was looking into uh, universities to attend, there was one university that was very much targeted towards just veterinary sciences. And my parents, though they knew that I—that's—that was what I was very passionate about, they did encourage me to attend a university that had a few more options just in case I changed my mind. Uh, at the time, I didn't believe either of them and thought that They were crazy because this is what I was (laughs) definitely going to do. Uh, But looking back, I'm very, very happy that they encouraged me to attend a regular uh, Big Ten school. So I attended the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. I was a golden gopher for four years. And I successfully was accepted into the veterinary sciences program. And that was my major for less than a semester.
0: Oh, wow. So what? Uh, yeah, give us the story there. (laughs) Uh,
1: So day one, there is a uh, kind of introduction to veterinary sciences class. It's like vet science 101 or something, something generic like that, that all uh, prospective vet students have to take. And I think what it is, is a class that makes everyone really think about what profession they're going into first, it's the, this is your last chance to get out now kind of class, or you do realize there's going to be some poop involved, some of those kind (laughs) of discussions. Uh, So I'm sitting in that class, and there's, it's me, and there's probably maybe 150, 200 students in this lecture, and there's a young man, about two rows, uh, two seats beside me, Then we're all sitting there, I didn't really notice him too much, and all of a sudden, probably about half hour into the class, the instructor goes, okay, so everyone has their, I think it was like 2,000 hours of volunteer hours already logged. So we're ready to go for that, so you guys can keep working on those. And my, I kind of was confused, my eyes got a little big, I'm looking around, and. Literally everyone is nodding in agreement. Oh yeah, definitely, yep, super on top of this. And this one other boy kind of has the same stunned look on his face that I do. And we lock eyes and we just go, uh, this is not good. <laughs> and at the at the end, so we both, we all sit there. Uh, and then I think that it was like a two hour lecture or something of that nature. So I bring a hundred shuffles out, they're all excited about it. And me and this, me and this guy kind of, hey, man, do you do volunteer hours? Goes, a little bit. Like, I, I shadowed a vet a couple times, but that's about it. Like, yeah, me too. And we go down and we talk to the instructor. He said, oh, well, your guidance counselor should have told you that. That you oh, need no. all of these volunteer hours to be competitive when you apply to vet school. We both stood there kind of in stunned silence and the instructor was like, well, if you start volunteering now, uh, you might be able to catch up and, you know, by the time you graduate, but it's, everyone else is still going to be having more, more hours than you are. And I just kind of like, well, that's not a really good start. And it made me really think about it. So I sat down with, uh my career counselor there at university, and we talked about it and determined that maybe being a vet was not necessarily the lifelong career choice that I had intended it to be.
0: Well, can I, can I tease that out a little bit? So clearly there was information that would have been helpful for you to have previously that you did not have in regards to volunteer hours, um, but... Certainly, that didn't change your passion for working with animals. This sort of lifelong certainty that you had about being a vet, veterinarian was was very much shaken from that one experience. What made you uh, decide to take a look at other options instead of just sort of pushing through and doing, you know, doing what you could?
1: So, part of it was from a monetary standpoint. Uh, it's very difficult to pay for your lodging uh, when you are only volunteering. And that's what the hours were supposed to be, were volunteer hours. And I also, I kind of thought about it, and it's oddly enough something that I say on tours and when I speak to student groups, is there's a lot of things that you can be very passionate about and very excited about that make really great hobbies and not necessarily a great career for everyone. And I did some soul searching with this and kind of thought about why why did I want to become a vet? What was the impetus for me to decide this is the career that I was going to have for forever? And all I could really come up with was at five years old, I really liked animals. And that was kind of the... <sighs> <laughs> as deep as my thoughts had gone into this was, ah, I like cats and dogs. They're great. I should be a vet.
0: Well, and as you said, it, it's it seems to me that you ended up discovering this other option much later. It wasn't necessarily put in front of you from a young age. Even though certainly you you have family that works in the trade, but as you said, nobody sort of presented it as. Well, this is this is an option too. This is something that you can do. And I had a very actually similar experience. I wanted to be a veterinarian and I just don't have the mind for math or parasites. And uh, you know, and that was the decision maker for me. But the older that that we all get and you know more familiar with the options that are available in this world, we're like, wow, had I known at eight years old that 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 this or that was even a career option, it would have completely opened up my world.
1: It's my uncle Sim, who is the avid welder and kind of jack of all traits. And when I ended up finally picking welding, I I called him and he goes, yeah, you could do that. And that <laughs> was. But I think you touched on a really important point that when we're younger, the list of careers, if you ask young children, what, name me five careers, they're going to list things like veterinarian, singer, firefighter, bob, athlete, soccer, athlete, yep, soccer mm-hmm. player, something like that. Uh, no eight-year-old says, you know what I want to be when I grow up? An actuary. Right. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and now, that as an adult, that I know what an actuary is. Had that been told Mm -hmm. to me at, you know, 14, I would have been like, yes, I would really like to do statistical analyses for Mm -hmm. all day and find out different and just work with numbers. I didn't know that was a thing, so I never picked it. That seems to come around a lot that it's not that there's as much people telling you, no, you can't do this. It's that Mm -hmm. if I don't know it exists, how do I pick it?
0: Absolutely. I think that's so huge. And something that you had mentioned that I thought was very important, too, is that, um, you know, there's this cliche, you know, the world is your oyster. But even if you know all options, uh, there are still constraints for many individuals for you um, having, you know, looking at this mountain of volunteer hours and you're like, how am I going to pay for my rent if this is the route that I choose. And I know that many of our students at, at technical colleges, as I mean, as well as universities, it exists as well where, you know, wouldn't it be nice to pursue certain paths or careers, but uh, especially dependent on your socioeconomic status, if you're first generation, family support, all of that, it can it can make you think differently about the choices that you're making.
1: Most definitely. I think it is almost a bit of a disservice to continually say, you can do anything that you want to do, because no matter how much my heart desires to be a professional basketball player, I am mm-hmm. only 5-4. <laughs> I yeah. will never be a professional basketball player. And so there's a lot of... And, and like you said, with being a veterinarian, you don't like parasites and you don't like math. So those... You know, yes, you still love animals, and we could, you could look at different directions that you could go. Or if you really, really wanted to do it, yes, you could get math tutors and maybe learn to be less squeamish. But wouldn't it be better for all parties involved to find a direction that you could take that hones some of your skills a little bit better? Some of the things that you already have an aptitude for instead of trying to force yourself into a box that isn't necessarily the right box for you. It might be the right box for somebody, or a lot of somebodies, but not always this somebody.
0: Absolutely, and we tend to think, and I, I want your thoughts on this. You had mentioned if you ask a group of kids, what do you want to be when you grow up, and you, know, you get the same 10 to 20 answers, but what we're really not shown is, oh, you have a passion for animals? veterinarian isn't the only option. You know, maybe where your strengths lie is not in that particular career path, but that doesn't mean you can't utilize that passion in another way that speaks to your skills and your talents. And so, but like you said, if you don't know that those options are out there, that narrows what you feel is possible for you to do. And and so I'm actually curious to hear about so suddenly now, welding has entered your mind as a possibility. What was your first semester in classes like entering into this new and very different program?
1: So I I decided to go back to school, which was uh, going back to school is not necessarily a strange thing for a lot of people to do after they graduate from a four-year degree. However, the majority of the time, they're going towards a master's program. And not a
0: one-year technical diploma. Oh, and yeah. So. I apologize. Did you end up graduating and then going and in, going into the the workplace, or? So uh,
1: I did graduate from the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. I have a bachelor's degree in addiction psychology. Uh, so that's the that's the uh, profession that I decided to go towards, and it's very interesting. I really I really enjoyed it. Uh, However, I was a bit misled when I chose it and or the Requirements for profession for employment changed over the four years that I was at school So one of the two it doesn't much matter Uh, When I picked my program I was under the impression that I could have a variety of different jobs available to me with a bachelor's degree however upon graduation They informed me that if I wanted to have any sort of gainful employment or upward mobility, I really needed a master's degree. And they would be very, very willing and able to help me apply for a master's program. And at the time, I was not... I kind of wanted to be done with school for a little bit. Uh, I had an opportunity... There's a wonderful program through the nation of Australia that provides work travel visas to anyone who applies under the age of 30. So I did that. I After I graduated, I uh, flew to Australia. I got to teach horseback riding on the beach. And I Amazing. It. There's my passion for animals. It did come full circle. I got to do mm-hmm. something with it. Uh, but uh, again, that is a temporary visa. That is not a permanent visa. So I knew that... I would have to decide on something when I came back, and my parents had gone to MATC. They are both gainfully employed and enjoyed their and enjoyed their jobs. So I decided, hey, why don't I learn learn a skill or a trade? I still didn't necessarily have the best idea of what I wanted to do, but I sat down on my futon and I scrolled through the course, uh, the program offerings at MATC and. At the very bottom of the list is welding. And I had kind of, some of the stuff had sounded pretty good. There were some interesting items, but I got to welding and I knew that my Uncle Sim did that. And it's like one year degree, it's got good, it has a good employment percentage for students that had graduated from it. And they had a pretty decent starting wage. So I figured if my Uncle Sim could do it, so could I. I called him up, he said, yeah, go for it
0: and I applied. And how long between looking at the catalog and starting classes, how long did you wait to get started again?
1: So I that was over the summer. I think I applied in early, early to mid-summer, so around July, probably, and then started the program in September.
0: Started the program in September. I want us to go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll be right back, and then I'm going to dive into what that first day of class was like for you. So it's day one of you starting your new welding program. You already have a bachelor's underneath your belt, and this sort of marks your second big career shift. You had started out wanting to go into veterinary medicine, then addictions counseling, and now you've made this shift towards welding. What was that first day like? And then from there, just what was your experience in the program?
1: So day one for me, uh, having come from the university setting, I was ready with my notebook and my textbook and my color-coded pens to take notes and listen to my instructors and learn all about the science of welding. And on day one, I showed up. I think I was one of like two people that had a notebook and pen. Uh, After the initial, we had our safety talk about here's how you can be safe in the shop. They made sure that we had all of our appropriate uh, protective equipment on. And they said, okay, we're going to go into the shop and we're going to go weld. And I kind of panicked. (laughs) I was, I, I actually remember asking, well, aren't we going to talk about it more first? And now I, because I now work with the people that were in, were my instructors before, they always kind of giggle uh, when they have a student that is kind of like that. They're like, hey, we've got someone who wants to take notes about welding again. Thanks. <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do. I, I'm a very book uh, book-oriented kind of learner, and I was not... I was not at all prepared for day one to go from the classroom immediately out to the shop and strike an arc right off the bat i did it i didn't die it was actually pretty cool but it was not what i was prepared for thinking back though i can't really i can't really say that any amount of talking about it would have made that very first day any easier i having gone through that experience i now do my best to remember how that felt for when I work with students of all genders and ages that have that same kind of mild panic on day one. That, mm-hmm. Hey, don't worry. I was there. It was not so bad. Uh, after after day one, I did I did pretty well. It is not inherent. The mechanics of it are not inherently difficult. If you have ever used a hot glue gun successfully, you can weld. But uh it in order to really finesse it and be good at it, it does take a lot of repetition and it's going to be it's something that I will
0: continue to work on throughout so as a student Absolutely. It's a technical program just as much as it is an art, really. Very much so. Very much so. Just
1: like anybody can draw a fish, but there's a whole lot there's a big spectrum between you know, mm. the circle with the triangle for a tail
0: and a fine art oil painting. In overcoming that, um, you know, not only is this a career shift for you, um, but I'm curious, were were you the only woman in your program as well? And who did you look to for support um, during your program? So
1: I uh, kind of fortunately and rather amazingly, I was one of three women that oh wow. Was in my program that year, it was the most that they had had uh, I think ever if not ever for a very long time.
0: And how many uh, students total were in the program at that time? I think there were close to 70 of us. 70. So and 3 is a astounding number. So that yes. says something.
1: Yes. Uh, because there were no uh, there's no female instructors in the welding program. Uh you just pick the instructor you like best as your uh male male instructor to go to uh, however there is a female instructor who teaches some of the supplemental classes that are part of a variety of programs her name is Teresa Valencia and she is a uh, journey worker with machine tool so she has a journeyman's card uh, in the machine tool profession, and she taught the metallurgy class. She was a really wonderful resource, and it did help to see, even though she wasn't in the welding field, it was really great to see just another woman who was in a trade-based profession, working with their hands, and just being out there
0: in the shop with us. Why? Why did you feel like that was valuable? To you, something that um, you know we that has been gaining a lot of uh, traction as far as cultural conversations is really the uh, conversation surrounding representation and the importance of um, seeing someone who looks like you or is from a similar background. But from a woman in the trades having very much spent most of your professional career in spaces where you're the only woman or one of very few, for you personally, what is the value of having another woman there in that space with you?
1: So I firmly, I most heartedly agree with being able to see someone who looks like you doing something that you want to do. But I also do not think that you should ever wait because you aren't seeing somebody in the field that you would like to be in. If you don't see somebody who looks like you and what you want to do, then that means that you are supposed to be that person doing it. So that the next young young lady or uh, African-American male who wants to go be a pilot, then they can look at those, then they can be that person that someone else can look up to. So I don't think you should ever not do something just because you would be the first, and that's kind of scary, but it's just, it's like if you go to a party and you have that one person that you know, you instantaneously feel just a little bit more comfortable. You don't even need to go talk to them all the time, but just knowing that if you get a little scared or if you know, you're talking to someone that you're just not super, they're kind of boring, you always have that kind of bouncing off point. So it's a it's a maybe a security blanket, so to speak. so you don't need it, but it's kind of nice to have.
0: Absolutely. And um, I mean this being just a, a one- year program, I'm sure it it flew right by. Uh, but what were sort of the high points? what were the challenges and uh, where did you see yourself headed? when you were finishing your program? So there's a wonderful class that's Occupational
1: Development. And what it does is it provides, uh, it it works with each of the students and says, hey, you have learned how to weld. This is how you go get a job. And since I had come from uh, university and I had not really been successful in becoming employed with my degree, it felt really good that all of my instructors And the college as a whole were really invested in me having that job. Are you actually going to, if you want a welding job, when you finish that program, they will get you one. Regardless of your skill level, what parts of the welding program you enjoyed, all of those different components. If you want to be employed in that field, when you graduate, they will find you a job. And that was a really great feeling having spent a lot more time and a lot more money in different directions and not becoming employed. But some of the high points, I will I have to say that the first time you lay down a really beautiful aluminum TIG weld, it is just, it's like the heavens has opened up and it they sing to you and it's amazing. And then if you keep it for, if you keep that weld and hold onto it as a point of pride and you pull it out of your desk drawer three years later and look at it, and realize it wasn't that good of a weld. It's just when you when you're learning how to weld and when you're learning basic machining and metal fabrication and all of these different all of these different skills, it's very easy to see progress. It might not happen at the rate that you want it to, you know. I've been doing this for three whole hours. Why am I not an expert? But it's that incremental progress where you can mark, okay my weld is a little bit smoother, it's more consistent, my tie-ins were better. There's all of these different stepping points that you can very easily see, hey, I did this last week and now I'm doing it again this week, and it looks so much better. So for me, as whether it's uh, from the standpoint of a woman, whether it's just my own personal feelings, that I like to be able to see that I'm getting better at something so that I know that, hey, I've put in the time, and I've I've improved. So that was really kind of the high points. With that being said, the low points then are when I want to be better at this faster than I'm being better at this.
0: You finish the program and head out into the working world of welding. What was your job slash professional experience in the welding world prior to instructing at Madison College? Uh,
1: So I have a very condensed uh, timeline. When I was a student I got to work a couple part-time jobs at uh, area businesses welding and doing finishing work so I had some experience there. One of the careers that was mentioned to, to me in that occupational development class was being an iron worker Those are the people that build buildings, so when you see the guys, you know, uh, that very iconic picture of the Empire State Building being built, and there's all the guys sitting on the I-beam having their lunch, those are ironworkers, and I thought that was pretty cool. It's like, ooh, I can build buildings. So when I finished my schooling, or shortly before I finished my schooling, I applied for an ironworker apprenticeship out of... All of the people that applied, I think there were close to 40. I was ranked first, which made me feel very proud. I lived out in the country at the time, and the mail was a little bit slower. One of the other uh, students that I had gone to school with, him and I were friends on Facebook, and he got his letter before me, and he was ranked third, and said something to the extent of, how was I only ranked third? I'm by far the best one. I don't know who would have been better than me.
0: Oh my goodness. Oh. And I just satisfying a
1: picture of my letter. I was like, Oh, maybe me. That's amazing. And it was just it was just his great feeling. He's a great guy. He's still uh, he's still out there working, uh, and now I'm in the classroom teaching, so I'm very glad uh that he he's still doing it. But it just uh, for me, a little bit of validation, be like, no, nope, I did pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so then when did that um, shift towards instructing come or how did that come about?
1: Uh, so I was an iron worker the whole summer after I graduated from the program and I absolutely loved it. I, I actually, I still miss it almost every day, but it is truly, it is very hard labor and as comical of a reason, uh, I am a rather fair-skinned redhead, and when you are out on a building all day in the summer, it's very sunny.
0: Oh, that's and, dangerous for you. <laughs> I, I know. So
1: when for most people, and all of the all of the guys that I worked with, um, I think I was the only woman on the entire building. Uh, they were all great. I absolutely adored working with them. But... They didn't make fun of me because I was a girl. They made fun of me because I put on sunscreen all the time. I had it in in my pocket with me every two hours. I'm slathering that stuff on over the sweat, over the dirt, the rust, all of it. Uh, it's and- a matter of life and death? <laughs> no, I told them that if I do not do this, I will burst into flames and I will not come to back-, back to life like a phoenix. I will just be a little pile of ash up here. Uh, so I had taught, uh, I had done tutoring and teaching and a variety of different kind of education-ish things uh, since middle school. I was always the kid, hey, this student is struggling, do you want to tutor him in math class? All right, sure, why not? Uh, I taught English as a second language, I taught GED at the, uh, Correctional Center in Minnesota, and I really enjoyed teaching. When a position as lab support came open at the college, it was right around the time when uh, you sign a, a letter of intent with the ironworker's apprentice to say, they give you kind of a test a test period that's like, hey, are you sure? And it was right about the time when I would have been signing my letter, and I was looking at kind of what, what my future was going to hold, and though I loved... I loved being an iron worker and I really, I really valued that work and what I got to do with that. I didn't, I was, I had to be a little bit more realistic about my ability to be on top of a building in the sun all day, every day for the next 35 years. And I don't think that they produce enough sunscreen to keep me alive to do that. (laughs) So when the position at MATC was offered to me as lab support, uh, I did, I took it, I, or rather, I applied, uh, and I got to go right back to being at school again, but now I was on the giving end instead of the receiving end of the knowledge. It was really awesome. Again, I, there's just not a lot of women, so I really enjoyed, that's when I mentioned before that I got to do tours, and it made me happy that when I was giving a tour to a group of high school sophomores that had, you know, it's a even mix. There's 50-50-ish of boys and girls, and the person that's giving this group of uh, students their tour is a woman. And I can look at all of them and say, hey, you guys can all do this. You girls can all do this. All of you can. And it's a really great direction to take your education.
0: Absolutely. So it,
1: it immediately gave me that satisfaction that not only can I uh, work with these students and help them along. at that point I wasn't an instructor, but doing that outreach component by being that that visualization of a woman in this trade, I was providing I was providing that opportunity for girls to see someone else that looked like them doing the work.
0: One well, going back to what you talked about in in your youth and sort of the importance of even just, An occupation being shown as a possibility, what that can do for potential female students that haven't made up their mind. And maybe they had never even considered welding, but seeing a female welder, they're like, oh, wait. Potential and and I actually want to dive into that a little bit deeper and what your experience as a female instructor has been in this field. So I just want to take one more quick break and then we'll come back and dive right in. Doing these student tours and what that can mean for, uh, you know, a high school, a female high school student suddenly seeing a female welder and maybe considering it, maybe considering welding for the first time as a potential occupation, Uh, but just because she sees you doesn't mean she's going to continue to see people that look like her in the field, in the program. Uh, you know, it is a space that is still very largely
1: dominated
0: by by men. As a female instructor, what is your what has your experience been like working in spaces where most or all of the other instructors that are your colleagues are male? Um, and how do you approach classrooms that are so heavily weighted with one gender over the other?
1: So. Honestly, I look at it as every student is there to learn, regardless of their background, their history, their gender, their race, any of those. My job as an instructor is to teach them. And I always, I always remind my students, uh, you can ask for the demo another 20 times. It is my job to show you, and I will happily show you as many times as required. I have not had a lot of... Uh, animosity or kind of disappointment even from students Uh, i do usually get a little bit or a few confused looks on day one when i'm at the front of the class or i walk in and they kind of look and then you know minutes tick by and class starts Mm -hmm. and no kind of middle-aged white dude walks in uh to say hi, I'm your teacher. And then I introduce myself. And so on day one, when I'm standing at the front of the classroom, or I walk in, uh, oftentimes, I think that the students are expecting kind of a middle aged white dude to at some point walk in before the start of class. And I get a few confused looks when I'm the one who introduces myself Mm -hmm. as their teacher. One of the other reasons I do think
0: that I get that confused look is not always based on my gender, but also my age. I think it's a combination. You know, there's something about being a young woman in that kind of space that I think is, is different, you know, like um, my English one teacher in college, I remember in undergrad um, was a. I would say 24, 25 year old graduate student, um, but a large dude, you know, he looked like he could be on a rugby team or something. And nobody ever questioned his authority at all. When I was in graduate school and I taught public speaking, I once had a student in front of the rest of the class ask me what my qualifications were. And oh, wow. another time when I kicked a student out for writing his speech during class and i said you know uh you're not going to be giving your speech today he crumpled it up and threw it at me and walked out and i've never ever seen that kind of behavior happen to any of my fellow graduate students that were men, uh, nor any male graduate students that I ever took classes with. So I think that there is an intersectionality there about being a young woman. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I would completely agree. Oftentimes I, so I really try and build a rapport with my students right off the bat so that they know that even though I don't have 30 years of welding experience, I'm still there to teach them. I'm still more than qualified. And Sometimes it can be very helpful to have an instructor who's a little bit closer to, hey, I did, it hasn't been 20 years since I learned this. I do remember that it was hard. It was hard and that you struggle, and I am here for you. So I try to build that rapport, Uh, but it is uh, rather comical when we have uh, either instructors that are outside the college or vendors that come in and I'm teaching class and they'll kind of look a little lost. Uh, hey, can you help me find the instructor here? And I'll raise my hand and be like, yep, that's me. I have had a, are you sure? Before. And I'm like, Are you? Yep. Like, super sure. The only instructor here. <laughs> so, not that tall. Uh, as I mentioned before, and it is a little bit harder to be authoritative when you're trying to tell someone that, Hey, you got to do your stuff when you're staring up at somebody who is a foot taller than you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I do, I try and not rely on being authoritative or overbearing and just work with my students as kind of a place of, we are here as we're here as a team. If we all work together as a group, then we can all, you know, benefit from this. But if, we're going to pitch a fit or, you know, pick fights, then it's not, it's not going to go so well. But Absolutely. Usually, usually my tactic for the students that either come in with a little bit of prior knowledge or aren't super keen on being taught by a woman and that they definitely know better, I always offer them go into the booth and, well, you show me what you
0: got, show me how great it is, and then we'll talk. And so can you kind of sense that sort of energy from them that sort of tells you like, okay, I know what, maybe I'm coming up against some, you know, preconceived perceptions and notions here?
1: Oh, very much so. Uh, but I don't, I, I don't want to start on the prove it kind of standpoint. But it, it really, welding is one of those things that your weld speaks for itself it's either good or it's not so uh and i mentioned before there's always room for improvement so even on a really great weld most of the time there's gonna be you know a little thing here a little thing there that we can that we can work on and i tell students that regardless of how much experience you come in with whether it's a bunch or none that i want to see you know this x volume of improvement So we either take you from never having done this before to being able to lay down uh, safe and pretty decent-looking welds, or if you already can do all of that, then we're going to hone your skills, and we are going to make you the best that you can possibly be.
0: In a similar um, vein of of questioning, um, I know we've we've talked um, offline many times before about your passion to not only see more female faces in the classroom, but also more students of color. So I'd love to hear more about your perspective and passion for that. And also, have you ever had a female student of color?
1: We have a very robust Hispanic population of students. So I have not had, oh, no, that's wrong. I correct myself. One of my most shining students who came day one, uh, she was so terrified. Uh, She was a single mom. She, I can't, I think she had an office job or uh, something that she just, she just didn't like. And she decided that she was going to come back. I think she was in either the industrial maintenance program or the automotive program. I can't quite remember, but... She was so scared the first day she's like, I'm gonna start myself on fire <laughs> I said, no, I promise we're good. We'll get through it uh, And she was concerned about you know hey there's gonna be some days that I might not be able to get here quite on time. I have to get my I have to get my kid from daycare can and she was so forthcoming and at the end seeing her just confidently walk into the booth and lay down some really great welds. It was was so rewarding. So she was, uh, she hit a lot of different non-traditional student categories because she was a woman, she was African American, and she was not 19 years old. She was a Mm -hmm. fully grown adult who had had a profession and was coming back to school to Mm -hmm. learn something new.
0: And, as a single mother, that that's one of the populations that we see one of the largest equity gaps because of you know the the other um, sort of needs and responsibilities that um, can make it sometimes difficult or certain instructors are a little bit more flexible than others, but certainly recognizing, um, and working with those students is so incredibly important because as you said, she's one of your shining pupils.
1: I know and I am so, I'm so glad that one, I gave her the opportunity to learn all of that, but that she worked with me. She could have Mm -hmm. very easily not told me anything and just been a student who was routinely late and routinely just left early Mm -hmm. and without any context. As from an instructor standpoint, you want to give students the benefit of the doubt, but if you just, you know, are consistently a half hour late and never say anything about it, I'm after a while going to assume that you don't have a lot of stake in your education. But because day one she came up, she said, "Hey, this is this is my life. Uh, I really I really want to succeed in this, but I'm gonna need I'm gonna need a little bit of give and take." And I said, "By all means." You know, if you can let me know that you're going to be a little bit late, great. If not, because, you know, you got your hands full trying to get the kid in the car seat or make a sandwich or whatever. I'll understand. Get here when you can and we'll make it happen. Because anyone who comes in and wants to learn one of these skills, I want them to get the education that they want. Because I know that they can take these skills and immediately go out and be gainfully employed, start mm-hmm. making money, start being able to better themselves, work their way up,
0: and not have to be worried about so many of those things. Well, and especially with it being a one-year program with great occupational outlook, awesome starting wage, um, what do you think we need to do as a, as a college, as a program, um, both on you know, sort of the, the academic and structural side of it, but also in terms of college support to recruit and re- and retain more people of color in these programs? So I think the big word
1: in there is the recruit component. But to me, the college can do a lot. With recruiting, we can go out, we can bring all of this knowledge bring the awareness, but there's a big piece, in my opinion, that comes before that, and that's at the kindergarten through eighth grade level. If we are not telling these students that these are available professions to them, and then by the time they get to high school, they're spending a lot of time applying to four-year universities and writing college entrance applications, then they're not going to be thinking about these other careers that are available to them. They mm-hmm. have all this time and energy put into applying to four-year universities. Well, I guess I might as well do it, otherwise mm-hmm. I wasted all that time. Instead of supporting students and saying, hey, these are really great careers that you can do right away. It's one mm-hmm. year. You can come mm-hmm. in, you can do this right off the bat, and then if down the road you'd like to go get a four-year degree you're more than welcome to but now you have this foundation where you are comfortable uh, monetarily you know that your job is not going anywhere and you have a direction that you can work up from and that's a really great thing that no i don't think any amount of outreach from the college or any technical college we can't break through that. We have to. Everyone has to go to a four-year university. Kind of mantra. I do. I do think that is
0: shifting. I do think that's shifting somewhat. Um, slowly, it's getting slowly. Hard. And I think it's it's very economically driven in a lot of ways, and especially as the price of a four-year uh, program and the return on investment, you know, isn't reflective of the the time and money that a student is putting in, I do see some of that shift when, although I will say when I um, taught at University of Maine during my master's program, there were many times because I taught, you know, basic public speaking, I would have freshmen and sophomore, and I could sense in some students just a sense of unhappiness in the four-year environment, and they were struggling in their classes, and it, you know, they didn't want to be there, and I just wondered, like, You know, how can we have a cultural shift so that where the student is talented and skilled can be um, affirmed, encouraged, uplifted, and they're not any less than if they go to a technical college and explore one of these other amazing careers that we need um, in our economy. You know, it's just like you said, it's sort of shifting that um, idea that the four-year university is is the default you went and you did it and then you went back because it wasn't it ended up not being your you know your ultimate career Um, and not to say that you made a wrong turn anywhere necessarily but um, if we can put these options in front of students sooner as equal but but a different trajectory depending on what you need then you know what sort of progress can we see most
1: definitely and i think you you mentioned something that i'm curious if you thought about before your current career and that is there is a great market for manufacturing and trade based jobs had someone asked you how many welding and metal fabrication jobs are there out there before you started working at madison college what would you have said
0: Oh my goodness I don't know if I could even have given an estimate to be quite honest. So and I think that's now that I
1: work in this field and I know people that also work in this field I know that we can't graduate enough students to fill the job openings that are out there but yet Mm -hmm. I keep hearing that there is the unemployment rates going up and there's so many people that are without jobs and that just, it pains me because I know that there are so, that there are so many jobs out there that need people that are very, that all of the people that are out there are so capable of doing with a little bit of premium.
0: Absolutely. And so, being happy doing. If, if it's just sort of shifting that notion of I need a four-year degree, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing. That worked extremely well for me. I... Loved the four-year university environment. I loved going to grad school. That worked well just for who I am, but I think that we sort of need to equally value technical education. It's just as necessary, and it provides wonderful options um, for gainful careers um, that people can truly be happy in for the long-term
1: yeah and just because you went and you got your one year your two year technical diploma does not mean that you are denied access to a four year university Absolutely. at any point in the future but it gives you a nice starting point and it gives you a career and a dra- and a trajectory in a functional direction that then maybe mm-hmm. at 25 or 30 you can and you want to go get a bachelor's degree in something else that might be related to what you're doing or a change in your career, you still have all of those opportunities and maybe you won't end up in quite so much debt or because you've had a little bit more time to learn about yourself, now you know more about the things that you like doing, the things that you like doing, but you know that you don't want to do as a career that are definitely more of a hobby. Maybe you wanted, you had initially planned on being a dance major, and now you realize that maybe you just like to go out and go dancing somewhere, Mm -hmm. but that
0: you are not going to go on and be a raquette. Getting a little bit more existential and and stepping back as we uh, wrap it up, how has being a woman in a male-dominated field influenced the way that, that you just see and experience the world? So...
1: I have very much realized that one-size-fits-all for male-dominated fields definitely means guys, large Mm -hmm. dudes. (laughs) That is, when they say one-size-fits-all, it is definitely not a middle-of-the-road kind of thing. The first time I tried to buy welding gloves, they're like, oh, we carry large, extra-large, and
0: 2X. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Really?
1: I wear a small or a medium? Yeah, Yeah, we don't (laughs) carry those. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Three stores later, I found a place that said, yeah, I've got some of those. And I have bought all of my stuff from them ever since. Mm -hmm. But So simple things like that, uh, when it comes to the protective gear that I'm supposed to wear, there's just not a lot of uh, ladies-cut items or gear that's designed for women to wear. And it's getting better, actually. There's a lot more women, especially with Instagram and uh, Etsy, there's a. Mm-hmm. it's becoming more accessible. So I have a really wonderful women's cut welding coat that actually fits me nice and not like a big box.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that was really exciting that they sold those. They now sell uh, women's TIG gloves that are small so that they actually fit right.
0: I actually so. saw an ad the other day. I should have sent it to you. It was brilliant for this clothing line where There's a woman wearing a woman's cut t-shirt, and it says carpenter. And then there's a male model next to her wearing the man's cut, and it says male carpenter. And uh, it says underneath, uh, we do charge more for the male cut as we have to specially design our machines to cut for the male body. (laughs) And I just thought that was brilliant. I love that. Yeah.
1: So much. Mm -hmm. So much. But... Uh, it's it's very true. I, they don't none of the welding coats that are cut for men say men's welding coats, so they don't mm-hmm. exclude me from buying them. I will just tell you that they got a lot of shoulders and not a lot of chest. It's usually yeah. how they're cut. <laughs> so, uh, but with that said. I really appreciate that the field itself is based on what can you produce. So at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, if I set my weld on a table next to a man's weld, they don't write down welded by a girl on it. Mm. You just look at it and go, that's a nice looking weld. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. And that can be really affirming to women that are in the field knowing that their their welds their products their end result is solely judged on does it meet the specifications it doesn't matter who did it it matters if it was done well and that's a good feeling when there's a lot of other fields like that that says male carpenter your house was built by a woman are you sure you're okay with that and that that doesn't help move us forward as a gender. It doesn't help move us forward as a as a nation when we have all of these positions that need to be filled, and not on purpose but kind of just by neglect, we're excluding half of our population mm-hmm. and and more so knowing that you have access to this career that really judges you based on how have you progressed in what you can produce is a nice feeling.
0: What would you say, um, as a former Madison College student and now a Madison College instructor, we have many males in, male instructors for NTO programs. What advice would you give to a male instructor in supporting women in these fields?
1: Please never tell me that my weld looks good for a girl.
0: (laughs) Have you, has someone told you that?
1: Um, it was, it was meant in a, oh, women are better at this type of welding than men are, so Mm -hmm. yours is really good, but I still don't like hearing it, because yep. any time you add that modifier of for a girl at the end of it, even if it's meant in a positive light, it just kind of It's comes.
0: still othering you. It's still exactly. othering you. Mm-hmm.
1: Because I don't look at any of my male students and go, you know what, man? For a tall guy, that's a pretty good weld. Right. <laughs> no one cares. No one cares. You're six foot four. You're welding a lot better than the other six foot four guys. Mm -hmm. No, no one says that. It sounds ridiculous. Uh, Also understanding. And this is not just for women, but the type of students that are coming into our programs, which makes me happy. Uh, We are getting a lot more uh, students that have a lot different backgrounds so not all of our current students grew up on a farm working outside uh we have students who their favorite club in high school was drama and uh and or they really like cooking so they might not be kind of the the rough tough kind of student that more of a supportive standpoint of hey And and I try to do this as an instructor, and so far it's it's been well received, but I try and lead with, all right, these are the things that look good, we're going to start with the good things, and then we will, then I'll point out, these are the things that need adjusting. So that you, with with that being said, on the first day, everyone knows that their first couple welds, they're bad. This just just how it is you've never done this before and we got all giggle wow this is pretty terrible that one's a little less terrible let's aim for more of those ones but maybe try and be a little bit more supportive not that they aren't supportive but know that not all students are going to benefit from the looks bad do it again sometimes Mm -hmm. we need that little a little less stick a little more carrot
0: Well, and it sounds like even from your approach to and
1: that's that's the most that's the most important thing is regardless of what you're learning, what you're trying to do, whenever we as people take take that leap of faith to do something new and different and kind of scary. It's so important
0: for every other aspect of your life. Absolutely. And um, just in closing, are there. Well, thank you so much for all the time that you have spent with us today. It truly is an honor to get to hear and understand more of your story. Um, I definitely want to do more deep dives like this with women in the trades. I think it's so wonderful and so helpful to hear not only the work that you're doing, but um, the personal journey that you've taken. So thank you so much for opening up yourself uh, to this interview. And is there anything that you would like to leave us with today? So all of these
1: professions, all of the trades that are out there that fall into that non-traditional occupation category, we said it before, and I still think it's so important, just because you might not see someone who looks like yourself doing it doesn't mean you can't. And just because you've never thought about it as an opportunity for you as a career as a hobby as a whatever take that leap give it a go because you aren't going to know if you truly love it or if possibly you truly hate it until after you've tried it and it is it is accessible to everyone we can throw we can throw a hood on and some gloves on little kindergartners and they can do it and they jump in with both feet and are so excited so anyone else can
0: do that same
1: thing and come out successful with a new skill and a new gainful career.
0: Thank you so much, Hannah Wolf. So if anyone would like to reach out with questions or maybe a young woman that, um, you know, would like to hear more about your story, uh, what email can they reach you at?
1: Email is H as in Hannah, J as in Jean, Wolf, W-O-L-F, just like the animal, the number one
0: at madisoncollege.edu. Thank you so much, Hannah Wolf. If you knew how many outros I recorded for this podcast, well, uh, it might, it, you know what? It might put my reputation at stake, but here's the thing. My goal is to connect with you. Whether you are a staff, instructor, or student, as a non-traditional occupation advisor, the most important thing is that I can just connect with you. So feel free to give me a call. My phone number is 608-423-4313. And my email address is sjfield, as in footballfield, at madisoncollege.edu. So I look forward to hearing from you. Let's continue to talk, and I want to help to support you to achieve your goals.